Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast, powered by BrainFuel. Really excited to um, support BrainFuel and that they are now in CVS Health store. So super excited about that. Um, but nonetheless, took a little bit of a break here uh, last four weeks or so. Everybody could catch up on the episodes and uh, maybe took a break from uh, Andy and Pat and I's voice and 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 the rest. Um, but uh, glad to be back here with one of the best in the business, a le- true legend, Basil DeVito. Um, it's also uh, three Bobcats on the mic here, so got to make sure I, I put that out there. But um, Basil's had a, a tremendous career um, with WWE and, and many others. Um, really excited to dive in on also taking risks as well. Uh, he he's, was part of the first XFL component of what exists of the XFL, and so... Uh, excited to talk about that, but nonetheless, Basil, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I thought you were talking about Andy when you were talking about the distinguished part. But. Uh, well, I knew you were talking about Basil when you mentioned legend, uh, but I, I would, and it is a pleasure and, and good to see both of you. Um, institutional knowledge. Um, So, Jake, your institutional knowledge is just a bit shorter than the combined institutional knowledge that Basil and I have. Um, But as you see the changes in the world of sports, it is, I think, educational, instrumental to be able to see those changes happen over time. And so, Basil, having seen so much growth, having seen... Uh, global uh, involvement in wrestling in so many other things. What jumps out at you uh, when you were just a kid and going fast forwarding to today, like, holy cow, what I've seen, not that you walk to school in the snow for 20 (laughs) miles, as we all did, but what pops out at you as what a business, holy mackerel? Well, you you nailed it and thinking in preparing for this i started thinking about the fact that um uh, you know looking back it's so different and it is almost like what you just said that you know uh bread was a nickel and i walked you know with six feet of snow uphill to school um i and i feel really lucky and blessed that we were in the era we got to start out in. But uh, I went to work for the Indiana Pacers. My first job after graduate school, there were 12 people on the staff, total. We were an NBA team and the entire front office staff was 12 people. And I was at the Sixers and we had 10. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's just an unbelievable. Hold thing on, to put, think put back. those two, put those two together. That's not even as big as the social media staff. Uh, well, that's the that's ten short of the analytics group. And, <laughs> and 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 then you know even if you as you, uh, I fast forward. Um, uh, even when I uh, uh, let's see, it would have been uh, six, seven years, seven years later when I started at the WWE, I was the 30th employee at the WWE, which is now a billion dollar public company with a thousand employees. 
it just is unbelievable to me and, and kind of sad. It's sort of like, you know, maybe if baseball in the 50s and 60s was that, uh, you know, golden era of baseball, if you're yeah, baseball. Truly America's pastime at that time. Yeah, and that's sort of how I feel my uh, experience was because I got the chance to work in these clothes, same stuff. It was the NBA, um, you know, uh, the WWE was a different, WWF at the time was a different animal. But even in between, you know, um, uh, I, I often make the example that my career is kind of zelig like that you know <laughs> uh, so i i'm at the pacers okay great i have a couple of years there um and then i go to a local tv station and i spend uh seven years working for bob knight uh and go to the 84 olympics with the basketball program that he created uh, what well, you know how does you know i think back now and uh, it sounds heady and all the rest, but it was just what happened. There were a few guys doing it. There were a few guys around, people, men and women, um, and things just happened and went. And uh, it was very entrepreneurial, very interdisciplinary. And, um, you know, one of the stories I thought of, so I'm you know, I come back from the 84 Olympics. I'm at a local TV station. I'm in Indianapolis and I'm working a local TV station and I'm responsible for the Bob Knight show and the connectivity to all Indiana basketball. Right. I am. I'm happening. I'm a, I'm a, you know, guys guy, all, everything's great. I got tickets. I got juice. I got connections. This is all great, but I'm in Indianapolis. So, um, I get this offer and I remember, uh, talking to uh, one of still one of my closest friends who happened to be the uh, track announcer and handicapper at Churchill Downs. And I'm telling him, and I used to run my, uh, uh, you know, career woes as we all did as young men by him. And, and he says, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You're going to go work for wrestling. He probably said wrestling. Um, and the goal is to have people pay to watch on Sunday nights on, what did you say it was called? Pay-per-view? Are you crazy? So of course, uh, for the last 35 years, I've been telling them, Mike, you're the greatest handicapper in the world. You tell me what to do. I go the other direction and it always works. So um, Basil, but, when, you but, think about the, when you think about the risk that you took, Right. Every, yeah. Everybody's got to have a different tolerance of risk throughout their yeah. career, throughout their life, any decision, even in business. Right. What's when you think about the risk that you took and obviously there's the reward on the other side. What was going through your mind at that moment in time? <laughs> and then, like, was there another risk at any point in time in your career that well, was greater than that? Well, you know, I have to say only in hindsight, perhaps. I don't, nothing was going through my mind, but I will tell you, I grew up in New York. I went to high school in the Bronx and my father was a truck driver and owned a, you know, two, three trucks that, you know, he drove. Those were my options. So going home meant I was a truck driver. 
So uh, I, it, risk never really came into my brain. You know, I mean, I drove to Ohio U sight unseen and walked on. I mean, I, I didn't, I'd never, I stopped on the side of the road and called home uh, in Lancaster, Ohio, to drive between on 33 between Columbus and Athens because it's the first time I saw a live cow. I well, I I would just jump in here. I have seen some live cows on Long Island, but being, <laughs> being a Brooklyn-born guy too, it's like Athens, Ohio, Parkersburg, West Virginia. Andy, you ain't in Brooklyn anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's, you know, and it didn't, I didn't think of it as a risk, although I was a little shook going to Athens, I have to admit, I really set me back, took me about two years to figure it out. But then even, you know, going to work for Vince, uh, single guy, uh, I've told this story many times, I've been in Indianapolis working, great time, just at the beginning of it, becoming a big amateur sports capital, um, pre- just when the Colts got there, you know, but it, it was, you know, a distinctly triple A town at the time, even though the Pacers were there and uh, being a snobby New Yorker, I was looking to go back East and gee, I'm going to work in Greenwich. Wow. You know, high cotton. And I, I've told the story for, again, for decades, I went, spent the afternoon interviewing with Vince. He says, what's it going to take? And I, fixed my mouth to say the biggest number I could without laughing. And he jumped up, stuck his hand across the table and says, you got it. And let me tell you, when Vince grabs your hand, you're done. There's no more renegotiation. And uh, it took me about two years to catch up, but he took well care of me. What, what's, what's from a, a perspective of looking back now, where, where does the world of WWE go um, for those who are listening, by the way, this is the first episode out of the 300 something we've done that we've had someone from the WWE wrestling world. And for someone who's listening, going, there's a career in that. Like, how do I get involved? What, you know, I'm interested, but what, what do I do? Well, you know what? I think it's a microcosm of what we were sort of dancing around as it was in sports. When, a when I went to OU and Andy had already been through the program and, probably at that point was already at the A's maybe or whatever. I, you know, uh, uh, there's an interesting MLS connection that we can discuss later. Uh, but at any rate, um, you know, Andy was the guy we pointed to, uh, like you go through this program, you can get in the big leagues. Right. So, um, it showed that anybody could uh, <laughs> succeed or at least get up on the ladder. Right. Yeah. So, it worked out that well. And much that like sports that you've seen today now, it's big business, it's, um, you know, big staffs, it, it, all the rest. It is actually probably a little more difficult with the WWE, where again, I was the 30th employee. I will tell the story about what happened between me accepting the job and getting there. And, and uh, multiple people told me this story. The week after uh, I had taken the job, I was going to start in about a month. At that time, the entire company could fit in one conference room. And Vince would have a weekly meeting with everybody. And during this weekly meeting, he announces that 
we, I've hired a new, I think my title was director of promotion when I went to uh, work at the WWE. And he said, you know, I've hired a guy uh, to be the director of promotion. His name is Basil DeVito. And the guy who was telling me the story said, the room broke out in laughter. Just, he said my name, everybody laughed. And Vince's point was, no, he's actually done this stuff before because the guy before me was a retired state trooper whose idea of promotion was to show up with a bottle to the building manager, you know, three weeks in advance and, you know, get some posters in a barbershop. And that was the, you know, like I'm saying of all of sport and stuff, we had this chance of this uh, growing business, growing industry where you got to get in and do stuff and maybe do anything today. I don't think I could get hired at WWE. I mean, it is a, uh, you know, it's uh, a business school degree or better. And uh, yes, OU's program would qualify as that, but uh, you know, it is a it is a big aggressive public company. You know, as I'm listening to this. Uh... I don't know if this is a saying, but it takes time to make history when you think about it. And I grew up in the New York metro area and I was a wrestling fan and still am and went to Sunnyside Garden when Vince McMahon Sr. was the wrestling guy, at least in the, the New York metro or Northeast and scheduling these shows. Maybe there were 2,500 people there. And it was great, and, and I had my heroes back then, Antonina Rocca, and, and that's the one great thing about WWE. You have all these stars over decades now. Um, and so grandma can talk to their grandson or granddaughter, and they can actually have a conversation. And then you see it's become a global entity. Basil mentioned the Indiana Pacers. I'm with the Sixers. It wasn't anything close to the NBA today being a massive global entity. And we sort of, I think, take pride in being the roots of the tree, maybe even the seeds of the tree with many other incredible people, Vince McMahon, David Stern, et cetera, et cetera. And now you have these giant trees with branches. <laughs> and as Basil said, if we went into a job interview today, um, now, uh, can you come back next week? I don't think so. Seeing that growth come over time and seeing all of the people, right? We've talked about teamwork, leadership, and trust, and any of these businesses that have grown to be global have all been based on teamwork, leadership, and trust, right, Basil? Well, you hit the nail on the head, you know, uh, there, there's, there's a few little interesting connectivities, you know, Andy and I, uh, we both have twins. I got 30 year old twin boys. And as they talk about their career, neither of them are in sport, technically how we are or have been, and there are opportunities and this and that. And I say to them, um, you know, it, I went to work at the Indiana Pacers and the person who was my boss 
who, again, those early jobs and, and, and figuring it all out, she's still one of my closest friends today. And I know Andy has the same situation. The idea that the person I worked for in really my first full-time sports job, 45 years later, you know, I'll probably pick up the phone today and say, hey, I was talking about you today. That's, I, I only wish that for my kids and whatever they do. And as a matter of fact, um, you know, even after that, the people I worked with at the TV station, they're no longer with us, but ha if they were still here, uh, till the day they were gone, they were among my closest, uh, dearest uh, people to help me along the way. So I do think this business does allow for that. I hope it still does. It certainly did in my career that it's close quarters. You're working. There's there is all of the the sport, the fandom, the the seasonality, and all of that. And you really pour your heart and soul in. You become a family in your in your working organization. And if you're lucky, you get. I, I'm very lucky. I got half a dozen of them. But if you get one or two people that you stick with and they stick with you, uh, it does make it, it makes it all different than selling insurance. Everybody needs insurance, though. Not everybody needs sports. <laughs> Right. Well, the, insur the insurance brokers are the people that have made the most money when we were struggling, who buy suites, who buy sponsorships, who buy yeah. tickets, and, and, and love it. I always, when people always seem to bring up insurance, I go, thank yeah. God for people well, that are making money in insurance. <laughs> well, you know, let me, the, the thing about WWE that I think is important, and, and it all, to me, it wraps it all together. So I started, it was WWF. The first time I ever heard the term sports entertainment came out of Vince McMahon's mouth. And Vince was, let's face it, he hired my resume, right? So here I had Procter and Gamble and the Indiana Pacers and uh, Ohio U master's degree. And back then, as I said, they were still considered like a traveling circus, hard uh, rock and roll show. You know, it was just that thing. And he already had the vision to create a branded form of family entertainment that would ultimately be PG instead of let's call it a then maybe NC 18 or whatever it was, you know? So, um, uh, and he told me right at that first situation and I could do, I don't know if I still can, I can do 45 minutes in front of any crowd and never say the word wrestling. And that was what he, we, because that was this broad stroke of like referring to Disney as animated cartoons. And that was his point all the way. We're a branded form of family entertainment in the sports entertainment business. And we are a unique property called at that time, WWF, then WWFE. And still today, one of my favorite ever campaigns that I've heard of, I had nothing to do with, is after the WWE went from WWFE, World Wrestling Federation Entertainment, they finally went to WWE. And the catchphrase for that was, get the F out, which, uh, uh, which at the time was a little more edgy than it might sound today. Uh, but 
uh, always had that vision. And I like to tell this story is Vince had this vision of what we were, what the perception in the marketplace was. And I will tell you, he set me out as the first, followed and joined by many to be the apostle of this isn't wrestling, this isn't that, this is Disney-like. And I told somebody the story last week. I spent 35 years at WWE. There are people who have never seen me without a jacket and tie. And you will not see Vince McMahon in that office, even during the pandemic. I went over there once. There's four people in the, in the five-story uh, office building in Stanford. Five people total. He's there, tight, you know, dressed, ready to go. And inside that office was far more IBM-like than Ringling-like, even though the world outside would never believe it. And uh, I watched that culture be created, be delivered, be um, uh, nurtured, and just an amazing uh, situation, a, a story which, you know, will get told, but not with the gritty but detail. Like you said, <laughs> it takes time to make history. Yeah. Basil, did you ever think, and, and we'll, we'll cover this topic and, and then head towards kind of the end of the episode, but the XFL, right? Starting the XFL, seeing it try to come back to life uh, during the pandemic. I mean, just like the story, but talk about time. I mean, you had 20 year gap more or less, right? I mean, it's, I was not, I had left the WWE. I was working in horse racing. I get a, get a call from Vince. Hey, I got an idea. Come in. I go in on a Tuesday. We sit there for the whole afternoon talking about, he wants to start a football league. So the company had just gone public. Uh, this is October of 1999 and so I, I start off you know I'm kind of overwhelmed you know whatever and 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 uh but I got a job I'm working in horse racing and it's cool I go home on a Tuesday I said well Vince you think you know you think about it I'll think about it we'll figure out what's next uh, I don't know Thursday afternoon the fo my phone rings he says where are you I haven't heard back from you I hadn't even thought about it again. He said, get back in here tomorrow. So I go back in Friday at noon. I will tell you exactly the date. It was October 25th, 1999, because it was my then anniversary. Um, I went in at noon. I was told my now ex-wife uh, that I would, you know, be home, you know, a couple of hours and we'd go out for the, my anniversary, our anniversary at night or something. At five o'clock, I'm still in Vince's office finally leave i go back home and she says to me you're going back aren't you and i said yeah she said what are you going to do i said we're going to start a football league she said when do you start i said i did she said and and to her to her i'm not knocking her at all she goes what are we going to make i said what are we going to make yeah i've heard well, that i've heard that one before <laughs> Well, and the answer was, we didn't discuss it. And that was October 25th, 99. On February 3rd, 2000, we stood up in Times Square 
and announced we were kicking off in a year. And the only people there were Vince, me, and we had hired Drew Pearson as our uh, new, as our representative in the football world. And so from that, we had a year to kick off. We knocked the ball out of the park for everything except the product, okay? We had sold out crowds. We did a 13 rating in prime time on NBC for opening night, except we advertised and delivered the worst, uh, advertised the restaurant, delivered bad food. And it was as simple as that. Vince never let it go. You know, the 30 for 30, I think it was like 2015 or so. They do the 30 for 30. And Vince um, uh, asked me to dust off all the info. And we dusted it off in 15. We dusted it off in 17. And the only thing he was absolutely sure of is, one, we was going to own it alone. There was not going to be a partnership with a media entity, which we could talk about that in a whole nother episode. And the second thing was we were going to spend the time to make sure the product was worthwhile. And in two, in, in, for the 2020 kickoff, he spent the money and the time and hired the expertise. And the football was, I have always said, and I've said this in meetings publicly and privately, I have always felt, and I think we proved it, that the football in the non-NFL instance of anybody trying to play football is sort of pass-fail. It's either good enough or it isn't. It's never going to be great, but it can be good enough. And Vince spent half a billion dollars and 20 years, and I'm going to tell you, in 2020, he had built an organization that was good enough. And if not for the pandemic, I do believe XFL 2020 would have worked. Now, between you and me, after a two or remember, three year Remember, horizon, we're on a podcast here. So I don't know about you and me. I mean, that's... Uh... All right. Well, that's okay. Between you and me and the world out there, <laughs> success, built, something like the XFL is easier to launch and be successful than to keep going. No union yet. No, none of those success factors and you know the football players in the xfl were employees so we had 800 employees in a startup so it's a it's it's expensive it's risky it's hard work but i will say that i believe that vince bought and paid for a position that would have been successful uh whether or not it can ever be done there, not a lot of people willing to put up half a billion dollars. Right. So just one quick question, I could go back and we'll have to have another episode because I want to talk about the San Francisco demons and he hate me and <laughs> how you decided who got the ball and the cheerleaders who were making extra money on the side. There's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but competing... I won't argue about quality of product, but competing against the NFL, can anybody really do it? Zero. And the fact is, no. And the fact is, Vince, again, when I say this, I, you know, I just witnessed it and, it and years have proved it out. In 1999, we went to meet with David Hill at Fox and we, Vince said, I'm playing the week after the Super Bowl for a 13-week run, just like, remember, reality television in 2000 was the right. big thing. 
we're going to run a 13-week basic season, which is going to be football reality, live football games, behind the scenes and all. And he said in November of 1999, he said, and I'm kicking off the week after the Super Bowl, the first week of February, because the NFL Super Bowl is going to February and I'll be there first. And I ain't moving once I do. So the idea was to pick up, and his point was, again, you're talking 20 years ago, that after 17 weeks of Sunday at one viewing patterns, people love this monolith one day after the Super Bowl goes away. There's nothing tomorrow. So Vince says, everybody still wants football. And maybe not, they might not want it in June, but they sure want it in February and March. And that was the idea. We couldn't compete with them, right. but we were going to take this vacuum that sits where there was a great demand for this type of product. And by the way, we were reaching more male teens with Raw than any property on television, including head-to-head with Monday Night Football. So we can get male teens to tune in. And we're going to have low price and we're going to do this. The, the concept and the construct were perfect. We blew it with the content the first time. The second time was about the last time. Now, I don't believe there is a window of yeah. clear runway anymore. So, uh, you know, unless well, we'll you're discuss in- that, right? <laughs> and about 700 other topics in the 42 episodes that we're going to schedule with you, right, Jay? Well, Something like, well, something like that. Well, listen, there's no sense in it being Italian if you can't show it. So I could talk all afternoon with or without my hands. <laughs> Basil, uh, one last one last thing for our listeners. Biggest piece of advice you'd give for anybody going through their career? At the early part of the career, something we touched on, go for it. Don't worry. Go for it. The 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 drive for success for winning which all of us are athletes and you know know what that feel is is far out should far outweigh the fear of defeat or the fear of failure so uh, the the only way in this business is to go for it It, again at least in my era andy well i i totally agree with uh with my colleague it's all about the competitive gene. You don't have to be an athlete. As long as you've competed in something as you're growing up, whether it's debate, music, the arts, it doesn't matter. As long as you've won and then you've lost and picked your butt up and went back in it to whatever area you're in, that to me, and it's not a secret as as the three of us and many more know, there are no secrets in this business. Um, you show up early, you stay late, you outwork all the other people, whether it's a front office of nine or a front office of 900, and you can usually move through the industry. You don't have to have a PhD in quantum physics. You just have to graduate from a college, be able to write, be able to talk, be able to sell. We haven't talked about that, sell, 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 and not be afraid of it. But as long as you have the competitive gene, you can have a place in the industry. And as Basil and I were talking before we started to record, I said, what, what position did you play? Because we both played baseball. He goes, bench. I said, oh, 
Yeah, I, I, I know where the, I know what that looks like, too. So um, look, I, and, and Andy will uh, on the, the, the bench in basketball is a little shorter than the one in baseball. So yeah, I don't know if I don't know which one's lonelier, uh, but either way, right, you have that experience. And uh, regardless baseball, of baseball, because basketball, you're scrunched in with your right. teammates. Yeah. <laughs> and and, you know. The bench in baseball, especially in my area, which you could never get away with today. It's so funny. The bench jockeying, the things we we were really engaged in the game, uh, especially at OU. I mean, uh, I could uh, I could regale you with uh, OU baseball stories forever. And, uh, you got another. That's another episode. The and great, Andy the has greatness of Bob Wren and Mike uh, Schmidt and it, Steve. Well, yeah, Swisher. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Well, as I was saying, uh, I told Jake that tonight I'm having dinner with one of uh, OU, Jax Robertson. Uh, and uh, when Jake says, oh, well, Jax helped me. So that's the glory of sport, of the sports business, and OU in particular, why we still, I'm getting goosebumps, why we still have a little bit different cachet because 40 years after we were teammates, I'm having dinner with Jax. Somebody I've never seen before is telling me, "Oh yeah, he helped me too." Does that? That's all in a in a in a two sentences. And I and I don't get to see you in a suit and tie. So with yeah, that, well, no. By the way, nobody <laughs> unless it's a wedding is going to see me that way anymore. Well, Basil, really appreciate your time, perspective, stories. Uh, again, we can go on and on, and, and we'll definitely have you on again in the near future. But uh, Andy, pleasure as always, and appreciate the time. And and yeah, I'd be remiss not to end this way. So remember, on Saturday, November 6th, the Long Jeans Breeders' Cup Classic, live on NBC television. Don't you dare miss it. And don't forget, coming this spring, season two of FCF Fan-Controlled Football, where the fans make every single decision, including real-time play calling. Don't miss it. There you go.